1: Remember what You said, you return that I might live in my
2: Father's house. So what was the will of the Father? Well, we've just talked about it. It's practicing separation. It's sharing the Gospel with as many people as we possibly can. Daily, we must yield ourselves to that ambition. We must eat of that meat to fulfill his absolute will in our lives, to live purely, reaching the loss through the preaching of the gospel. And to this end, we should pray, we should give, and we should make great sacrifices.
0: In today's message, Pastor Mike will share with you about the will of God in your life. Oftentimes, many people will ask the question, what's the meaning of life? Or, what's my purpose in life? And while God may not give us the exact step-by-step instruction for each phase of our lives, the basic will of God can be broken down into two things. The will of God is for us to go out into all the world and make more disciples to share the good news. Secondly, God would want us to be open to what He has to say. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 for today's edition of In My Father's House.
2: The church was being persecuted on many different fronts. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But those persecuted believers who sought refuge, not only from the state at that time, uh, which was uh, Rome. Uh, Remember, during this particular uh, time, in fact, uh, just to date this, in July of 64 uh, AD, this fire broke out. In Rome, and three quarters of the of the city actually uh, burned. And Caesar Nero, who was the emperor at this time, blamed that on uh, Christians. And because of that, they were uh, persecuted. And so uh, Rome, through uh, Nero, was forced to take action against this uh, sect known as a uh, Christian. So Nero helped precipitate this persecution. But it didn't only come from Rome, not only from Rome, but also from fanatical Jews and uh, pagans as well. You see, many of these believers that Peter is writing to were converted from Judaism. You know, the the first century church predominantly was made up of uh, Jewish believers. And so they had become the targets of extreme hatred by the members of their own families who thought that they had betrayed uh, God, and also their former friends, who were also uh, seeped in Judaism. And thus their property was destroyed, their bodies were tortured in an attempt to force them to renounce their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And so anyway, Peter is writing to encourage them, to comfort them, and to strengthen them, all of which the Spirit supplied through these wonderful and persuasive chapters. And listen, and again, this is the second reason why I've chosen this book of the Bible. I trust we will learn something of having the peace of God regardless, no matter, of our surroundings and circumstances, the things that we are presently going through. But then I also chose this book, this is the third reason, because of its practical approach to the needs of every believer. Listen, the problems of our present age are no less complex than those of the first century uh, church. Here's the challenge. Living purely in an unpure world. And, and this has always been the uh, struggle for uh, Christians, right from the very beginning of time. And this epistle provides an excellent source of comfort for all of God's people who are struggling, who are confused and feeling weak. It's an amazing, relevant uh, book. Truly, we can say of First Peter, as Paul said, and is recorded for us in the book of Romans in chapter 15 and verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And I believe that that is an accurate description of what 1 Peter is designed to do. Okay, now that brings us to our second point, and that is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now notice here, let's go back to verse 1, he begins by establishing his authority for writing by identifying himself in this way, as an apostle, so that their ears would stand up And they would be uh, willing to receive of his instruction, his exhortations. Now, let's talk a little bit about the office of an apostle. First of all, let's address the subject of the biblical requirements for being an apostle. And I want to give you a couple of cross references for this. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, in verse 1. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and remember now, Paul was an apostle as well. And so defending his ministry, defending his apostleship, he writes to church at Corinth and he says, am I not an apostle? And then he offers the evidence. What was that evidence? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ? So one of the requirements of being an apostle is that they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. You say, when did Paul have that kind of an experience? Well, when he was on the road to Damascus. Remember, as the uh, prime mover in the campaign to squash Christianity, he had that encounter with the Lord. He was wonderfully interrupted by uh, Jesus on his way to uh, Damascus uh, to bring back those Christian prisoners uh, to Jerusalem to stand uh, trial. So there he had his encounter with the risen uh, Christ. So that was one of the requirements of being uh, an apostle, that is, to have seen the risen Christ. And then he goes on to declare, are you not my work in the Lord? You know, the proof is in the pudding, if I can use that expression. You know, the churches that Paul had established, uh, the ministry of Peter and the success of that ministry, just validated his calling, his commission of God, his ministry, that of being an apostle. Let me give you another cross-reference. In First Corinthians, in the same book of the Bible, in chapter 4, in verse 15, there Paul also writes, For though you might have 10,000 instructors, you know, everybody wants to tell you how you should do it, when you should do it, why you should do it, right? Uh, many people want to be your teachers, but then he goes on to declare, Yet you do not have many fathers. And listen, that was part of the uh, occupation of being an apostle being a father, if you would, uh, to the people that you are ministering to. So he says, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Again, the proof is in the pudding, and there you have it. Think about all of the churches that were established by uh, Paul, uh, just simply because of the anointing of apostleship that rested upon him. So those were just some of the biblical requirements of being an apostle. So that's the way that Peter presents himself here in his opening statement. But in a sense, if you think about this, we've all been called as apostles. Because the word apostle in the Greek language literally means sent out one. Now what does that suggest? What does that look like? Well, think about this. Jesus commanded Peter in Luke's Gospel in chapter 22 and verse 32 to go and strengthen his brethren. So that's one of the offices of an apostle, to strengthen the brethren. But listen, I mean, isn't that true of all of us as Christians? We are to strengthen one another, to be there for one another, to encourage one another, to instruct one another. Uh, On another occasion, Jesus speaking to Peter it's recorded for us in John's Gospel in chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. He exhorted a Peter to tend to the flock, to feed the sheep, to provide for the sheep. And isn't that the very same calling that each and every one of us has as Christians? To feed one another, to share the gospel with one another. And listen, Peter's life and the writings of this letter is totally given to that ministry. So Peter the Apostle. So I think that's the correct way of Peter presenting himself here in his opening statement. Now that brings us to our third point, and that is strangers in a strange land. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Our third point, strangers in a strange land. Now I want you to also notice, go back to verse 1, notice the way that he addresses uh, this letter to the pilgrims it's all according to what translation you're reading out of. To the pilgrims, the New King James pilgrims or strangers scattered throughout Pontus, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter is not writing to one particular church, and that's the reason why this is referred to as one of those general epistles. Uh, in contrast to, let's say, for example, one of the uh, letters that was written by Paul the Apostle to the church at Corinth that we just talked about a a moment ago, which is known as uh, the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So this particular epistle was not written to one church, but to Christians all over the world, known as a general uh, epistle. So once again, Peter is not writing to one particular uh, church. But writing to God's own people living at that time in the principal cities of the world. Now that raises the question: how did they get there? Well, many were carried there uh, through the captivity. Remember, they were taken captivity, they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. They were dispersed around the world. And over time they assimilated. Uh, into their, those cultures, into the, the cities where they had been planted, and they set up their homes and raised their families and, and uh, opened up businesses. So that's how they got to these different locations that are mentioned here that Paul is addressing himself uh, to. So many of them had become Christians through the influences experienced when visiting their national metropolis back in the city of Jerusalem where by this time Christianity had taken hold there. You say, how did that all happen? Remember, we've talked about this many times, it was required under the Old Testament law that every male Jew attend three feasts in a calendar year. Uh, One of those feasts happened to be Pentecost. And so the adult Jewish males, uh, whether they lived in Cappadocia or Bithynia or wherever they lived throughout Asia, they were required by law to go back to the city of Jerusalem to attend these uh, feasts and to offer these various sacrifices and and such. And while they were there, uh, they were ministered to uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of them came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and then they brought their newfound faith back to them, back to those places that are mentioned here uh, in this first verse of Scripture. So, those are the individuals how Christianity had taken hold in these different locations. But then others, so that's just one way, but then others came to know Christ through Paul the Apostle's ministry. Now remember, uh, Paul really had it going on. Paul was on a tear, and uh, you just couldn't keep Paul down. He would go from one place to the next. He was a man truly on a a mission. And in the book of Colossians, Paul refers to, Uh, to uh, him preaching the gospel throughout the world. And it's taking a hold. In Colossians chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6, he says, Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it is also in all the world. Take note of that phrase, in all the world. And it is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you, since the day you heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth. So Paul was on a tear, and uh, you just couldn't keep him down. He would go from one city to the next, and then on to the next, and and just preach the gospel, and and, uh, the gospel message would bear fruit, and and, uh, people were getting saved, churches were being established. So that was some of the other ways that the gospel had come to these different locations that Peter is speaking to uh, here uh, in verse uh, 1. Folks, these were individuals who were holding on. It was a difficult time for them. Remember, as I mentioned, they were persecuted. Their Christianity marked them out as perfectly different from those around them. Notice they were living as pilgrims or strangers, or foreigners. But how accurate a description of every true believer is, even us today. You see, we're not to settle comfortably in this present world that we live in. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. 1 John chapter 2, in verse 15. John the Apostle tells us exactly that. We are strangers and pilgrims upon the earth. We are referred to in that way in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, we are told that our citizenship is in heaven, not upon the earth. I mean, no follower of Jesus Christ should become entangled with earthly ties, which neither please God nor honor Him. We should break with worldliness and discard all that gives no time or thought through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, let me give you a working definition of what worldliness is, just so that you know, so that we're all on the same page. Worldliness is anything which prevents the believer from exalting Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Worldliness is anything which prevents the believer from exalting Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple of cross-references to just validate this point. In John's Gospel in chapter 15 and verse 9, Jesus himself said, I have chosen you out of the world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6 and verse 17, quoting God, he said, Come out from among them and be ye separate. And so through Jesus, we are to be instruments of holiness and virtue. We are to be separated for God. So let me ask you a question. Have we spent time cultivating that spirit of separation? You know, how much time is actually spent in that endeavor, in that occupation? And I'm not talking about the kind of separation that says, don't do this, don't do that, you know, with all of its restrictions, but a positive kind of a separation that says, do something for the Lord. Listen, never do what you cannot ask Jesus to bless, and never go into any place or any pursuit in which you cannot ask Jesus to go with you. Listen, Christianity is so radically different from everything else, and it demands separation. Now, to help us to understand all of this, and even serve as an incentive, Jesus referring to this, his commitment to doing the will of God the Father, in John's Gospel, in chapter... Uh, 4, in verses 32 and 34, and I'm going to ask you to turn there with me, in John's Gospel, in chapter uh, 4, in verses 32 and 34, if you just turn there with me for a second, and I just want to read that uh, for you. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. And then jump ahead. I'm sorry, that was verse 34. Read verse 32, first of all. Jesus says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And then in verse 34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, here's the problem. Some Christians have never tasted of the sweetness of this meat. Why? Because they are too busy eating of the meat of this world's pleasure, the meat that can never uh, satisfy. So what was the meat of which Jesus ate? Well, go back to verse 34. Doing the will of the Father and finishing His work. So what was the will of the Father? Well, we've just talked about it. It's practicing separation. It's sharing the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. Daily, we must yield ourselves to that ambition. We must eat of that meat to fulfill His absolute will in our lives, to live purely, reaching the lost, through the preaching of the gospel. And to this end, we should pray, we should give, and we should make great sacrifices as we faithfully honor Jesus by seeking to win others to Him. And as we do, the world and its allurements will grow strangely dim and the Lord will become more real to us and occupy the center of our affections. You know, I want to uh, close and then one final comment with the story about this young uh, fellow. He was a university student, and I think that this story illustrates this truth that I just shared with you uh, quite well. It goes like this. A young university student who had plastered the walls of his room with cutouts of scantily clad movie actresses and pinup girls, received as a gift a copy of Holman Hunt's famous picture of Christ knocking at the door, uh, depicting what's recorded for us in chapter 3, uh, in chapter 3 or chapter 4 in the book of Revelation, where he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. You're familiar with that, Right. It was handsomely mounted and framed, and the student felt that out of courtesy to the donor, the picture should be hung. So anyway, nonchalantly, he placed it in the midst of his gaudy collection. But something was wrong. Thus, he removed, he removed a few of the adjacent pinups. The improvement was marked, but still, as he looked from it to the surrounding walls, a subtle sense of unrest prodded him. And then one by one, he removed each risque pinup of his collection until at last only the picture of Christ remained in quiet preeminence. Hey, listen, shouldn't this be the cleansing and transforming effect of Christ in our hearts, in our lives? Listen, he desires that first place in our lives as well. So here's the incentive. As long as we occupy ourselves with the pleasures and the lusts of this world, we shall never know the joy and peace that God intended us to experience. You know, in the 137th Psalm in verse 4, there a question is asked by the psalmist, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So if we follow the world, and our fleshly desires gang. guess what? We shall have no song in our hearts. The joy of fruitfulness and victory come only to those who practice separation and surrender themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In my
1: Father's house There's a place for me in my Father's
0: house, where I love to be. Oh, my That's all we have time for on today's edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for joining us. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. Be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments. We love seeing how God is using His Word in incredibly powerful ways. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to learning more from 1 Peter next time on in my father's house
1: where I love be oh my heart not be troubled.